Welcome to VB Engage episode 46. My name is Stuart Rogers. I'm with VentureBeat and I'm joined as ever by the author of Digital Sense. It is the one, the only, all the way from Kansas City, Travis Wright. Travis, how are you doing today? Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> Podcast number 46 is here, ladies and gentlemen. We are corner. getting close to 50, sir, and uh, for us, that's a full year, right? Because we do actually allow ourselves a little time off, right? We have a, have a little break in the holiday, so yeah, episode 50 will be our one-year uh, anniversary, as they call it, and that's going to be an excellent, excellent episode we have for our 50th in a few weeks, Noah Kagan. We love that interview. And not only do we have Noah Kagan, but uh, we're going to start our first ever epic competition we do have an epic competition coming up. And not only that, but you know what? We have back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back epic weeks coming up. We have John Rampton coming up next week. This week, we have Spencer Liu, uh, who is the CEO of KT Play, which is a really epic mobile engagement community where you can actually pull the platform into your game and then have an instant community. So we are VB Engage. We talk about engagement. What better way with uh, talking about community? So that's going down this week. Next week, John Rampton. Then we have uh, Everett Taylor Jr. We have John Miller of Marketo fame and now Engageo. Episode 50, we have Noah Kagan. Then we have Sujin Patel. So we're just bringing the thunder, ladies and gentlemen. Week after um, week of thunder. It's amazing. It's you know, We've got such an amazing lineup. I'm really blessed to have all of these awesome, awesome guests. Let's, before we get to talking with Spencer Liu, get into the news. Because, uh, my goodness, there's been some interesting stuff happening this week, Travis. Something that really caught my attention. Uh, because we've been talking a lot in 2017 about artificial intelligence, about machine learning, deep learning, statistics, data mining. You know, that whole cognitive computing space and, and what it's doing for marketing. And there was a, a great guest article from uh, Maria Yao at TopBots. It was just super interesting. You know, Cambridge Analytica made headlines back in 2016 when they claimed to be able to sway the election results. Now, what they did was they used machine learning uh, to determine personality traits from social media profiles. And then they pushed highly manipulative ads to those people. This article really sort of broke it down and broke down all of the science behind that. You know, did you know, for example, that when you're looking at somebody's social media profile, especially like on Twitter, you can't see their age, you can't see their gender, right? You can see their bio, but you don't actually know uh, like age and gender from that information. But it turns out with machine learning, you can work this stuff out just from the things that people post because you can grab all that data, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what's been really interesting is that Cambridge Analytica has been, you know, very influential. Not only did they, you know, uh, work with, you know, the Trump campaign, they also influenced the Brexit vote. They are heavy with data and analytics and a lot of the things that they're, that they're using. So it's been, it's been pretty fascinating. And this is not the first election they've been around. They've, they've been doing this for, for a while. And when you dive in and you start looking and you see all the different elements that machine learning, all these things that they know about you, it's a little crazy. It uh, can tell you, you know, what is your age and what is your gender. It knows that about you. It knows it. It knows your Meyer Briggs, uh, your personality trait, which I don't hide mine. I'm an ENTP. I put that everywhere, right? Uh, I'm definitely extroverted. It knows what you do for work, and it knows how narcissistic and psychopathic you are, Stuart Rogers. 
Yes. Uh, why did you say my name after narcissistic? Psychopathic. You're not narcissistic. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing of the sort. Everybody knows that. I'm actually an ENTJ, by the way, in, oh, in Myers-Briggs terms. Yeah, yeah, thanks. It's really interesting to me. There was actually, in this in this guest article, there's uh, Lyle Unger, who's professor of computer science at the University of Pennsylvania, has been developing you know machine learning approaches to, to grab insights from text. And it's not just age and gender and, and, as you say, all the personality traits and everything else. I mean, you know, even what you do for, for your job and, and all of those kinds of stuff, he can actually determine, it says, how likely you are to die from heart disease and other, you know, health risk factors, you know, based on what you post. It's really, really amazing. But it, it just goes to show you, I mean, this is taking machine learning and applying it to marketing. You don't have to necessarily have all of that demographic data. In, in the old days, Travis, we used to basically do, uh, you know, these big long surveys for people to sort of understand what they liked, what they didn't like. And then over the years, that changed to progressive profiling where you grab maybe just name and email address first time somebody mm -hmm. gets in touch with you. Mm -hmm. And then the second time they come to your website, you pop up another box that says, hey, let me ask you these two questions. And then the next time they come along, you ask them another two questions. And as you go along, you're slowly profiling people and, and making sure that you're filling in all of the questions, but you're not doing it in one great big swathe because, of mm. course, we found out that doesn't work. Um, now, it seems you don't even have to ask anybody any questions anymore. You can actually pull all of this stuff out of their social media updates. There's been some apps out there that have claimed to be able to do this with some level of effectiveness, but now we're getting to a whole other level of effectiveness. And not only with machine learning and AI going in and doing deep analysis, in one of our first episodes, I believe episode four with Sarah Austin, to be able to go in and, and to understand the emotional intelligence and, and to dive into the personality of the person that you're, you're connecting with. And then with IBM Watson, you know, we had uh, Stephen Gold on a couple weeks ago talking about... Uh, you know, IBM Watson and how they're using that within their marketing cloud. And so it's really interesting about how AI and machine learning are taking personality traits of people, understanding that person, marketing and advertising to them in ways that was never before humanly possible because we're dissecting so much data. We are able to determine all your interests, all these different factors about you to be able to resonate with you in a personalized fashion. That is the future. It is. And, and speaking of the future and speaking of AI, there was another great guest article this week from Kayla Matthews, and it was explaining why a shopping bot won the South by Southwest Accelerator Pitch event in the social and, and culture category. Now, We've been talking a lot about, you know, chatbots because, of course, that's one part of what's going on in, in AI and marketing right now. And I've seen some articles recently about uh, how chatbots have been struggling. We've talked about that, Travis. You know, we talked about that very recently. You know, we discussed how Facebook is sort of starting to pull back a little bit from the, the chatbot world. But I actually tend to think it's just going through growing pains and we're just discovering what really works yeah, and what doesn't. I think they're just regrouping from what we hear, what's coming up. They're probably just pulling back, regrouping and getting ready to launch their next initiative. Yeah, I, I think so. And this particular one is really interesting. It's currently on iOS, um, so it's it's not uh, out for Android yet, but they're promising one coming along the way. But it's called Lily. And what Lily is, is it is a chatbot that uh, helps women buy clothes. It's, it's uh, built by women, you know, and it's built to empower women to be the best version of themselves. And what it does in particular, and, and what is you know particularly good about it, 
is the the algorithms and the way that it shows those clothes in an empowering way that matches the body type of the person that is looking at uh, the clothes. So what you're not getting is this you know fake magazine style you know Photoshop world where you're seeing clothes on the so-called uh, image of uh, perfection. What you're seeing is you know basically the clothes as they as they would look. And uh, that's as close to perfection as anybody needs, right? So it's a really interesting thing. It works incredibly well. And it's a big win for, for retailers because it's a great way to generate business. And it's very, very personal. And, you know, it's really empowering. I think it's a, it's a great idea. And I was, I'm not really surprised, but it won at South by Southwest. The CEO I had a great, great quote on that. It's like, I have personally spent more than 10,000 hours in the last three years asking women what they feel when they are buying clothes online or in stores and why they buy the clothes they buy. And that allowed them to, you know, help out with the building of their AI engine. And they quickly understood that most clothing recommendation engines are focusing on what users like and buy. So what's interesting is now instead they're actually able to take all this information from their various profiles and what they like and and be able to use go through all these different tangible millions of tangible actions uh, to determine what they might like in the future. Now I know for, for dudes there's a site called Proper Cloth and Proper Cloth is interesting because you can literally go through and say you can go through all your sizing and and what kind of clothes do you like and then they can show you various different shirts each week or each month that you might be interested in buying. And because uh, I have a certain style that I typically like, which is very drab, right? I need, I need a very nice black hoodie <laughs> and, and, a, and a Royals hat. So it's interesting that AI and machine learning, Stuart, they're coming into every area of our life now, making recommendations on all kinds of things. Yeah, I, I love it. And I, I particularly like the, uh, the approach of this one. One of the things about fashion is, is fashion seems to translate really well to social media and uh, you get a lot of fashion bloggers out there and, and uh, fashion social media you know influencers and you know they're on instagram and, and facebook and snapchat and all the other you know platforms of course as we get on with this year and as we discussed with michael stelzner in last week's episode uh, we're starting to get to the point where we are using live streaming more often we talked about you know 360-degree live stream coming to uh, all of the social networks. Lo and behold, Samsung had an event this week. Um, they launched the Samsung S8 and S8 Plus. And what they also did was they updated their 360-degree camera. It can now record 4K video, and it has live streaming capability through YouTube. You know, that's the next step along the way. I said that, you know, we would have... 360 degree live streaming um, in high quality coming to all devices this year and you know that would be something that will start to really pick up samsung have taken another step towards that 360 degree live streaming through youtube of course you've got to use a samsung device with these cameras that samsung are producing which is a, a bit of a pain but maybe uh, you know we could throw out there uh, Travis, some of the other cameras that are out there that are allowing people to do this right now. Uh, yeah, there's the Ricoh Theta. Uh, there's the 360 Fly, iMersives Ve, Kodak's SP360, Samsung Gear 360 is right in there. And there's also the Insta360. So if you had a chance to walk through CES, there was a lot of different companies out there offering 360-degree video 
360 degree video with 4K. There was a couple of those. Kodak had one of those. So now Gear 360 is popping up with that with the 4K support. 360 and 4K, you're getting lots of detail, folks. You better make sure your your room is clean. <laughs> make sure you're not looking ragged. It's going to be really interesting. I think you know we're going to see this more and more and more this year. And what is great about this? The engagement levels in video go up through the roof. Now take those engagement levels and apply them to 360-degree video where someone can take a good old smartphone of which there are going to be 6.1 billion users of smartphones by 2020. So by the time we get to 2020, almost everyone on the planet will have a smartphone. You'll stick it in anything from a cardboard all the way up to the Google Dame Dream or the uh, the Samsung Gear VR or the LG VR. And basically, you'll be able to just enjoy what your friends are doing anywhere in the world live in 360 degrees using a VR kit, using a very cheap VR kit, to be yeah. honest. Brands that are listening to this podcast, you need to be getting on board with this like now. You need to be starting to look at this the the production costs when you look at these $350 cameras that can do all of this right now are not that high. Mm-hmm. The engagement levels are through the roof, right, Travis? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the ability for someone to go live from anywhere, I think there's there's been a, a bit of a problem with that. It's like, you know, make sure that, you know, what you're going live on is actually interesting because you don't want to burn your audience. They're going to they're gonna log in into you and, and, and watch you a, a couple of times. But if you're going live with some dumb things, people are going to stop tuning in on that. I think that maybe that's why Facebook is saying, all right, we're going to do the Facebook day. We're going to do the stories. We're going to steal as much Snapchat stuff as possible because you don't always need to go live, right? Sometimes it's like just a little like 10 second snippet of what's going on is better than five minutes of it so you have to really be conscious of the content that you're creating is it a value to your audience just because you can go 360 live vr and 4k doesn't mean you should all the time this is true (laughs) this is completely true don't don't just go live for the sake of it we we all remember what happened when uh, facebook live first uh, was uh, rolled out to everybody and the entire stream was people going live and you know, I, I love all my friends dearly, but some of them should not be going live on Facebook. <laughs> I'm probably one of them. You're definitely <laughs> one of them. <laughs> There's a reason I've not gone live on Facebook for a while. I'm not one of those people who should be live. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've, I've had it written into my contracts recently, uh, Travis, that uh, if you're recording me on video... You should only do it in standard definition because I'm worried that if you start recording my face on 4K, I'm going to become a weapon of mass destruction. Or mass distraction. It's good. You're right on, though, with that is that live video is, should be done cautiously. However, you know, we've had some people who says, you know, Travis and Stuart, you guys should maybe, you know, stream your news portion of VB Engage live. That's maybe something we're going to be looking at in the future here. I mean, we're coming up on a year. It's time to, it's time to level up our game, son. Yeah, I think we should do that because, of course, you know, the engagement levels will, as we've said, go through the roof. Um, And, you know, when uh, we're talking really to to you, you wonderful listeners, we're talking about community. And, you know, I think it's probably a good time for us to get into our interview with Spencer Liu, where we're going to talk a lot more about community and, you know, what uh, what Spencer's been doing. Um, He's been doing some really super interesting stuff in this area, and I love this interview. So uh, shall we get into it, Travis? Let's do it. 
All right, we have a treat for us today, ladies and gentlemen. We have Spencer Liu with us. He's the CEO and co-founder at KT Play. And KT Play gives games developers a way to aggregate 100% of their players into these instant online gaming communities. So we're going to be talking about community engagement and mobile apps and, and how to get your community activated within apps. So this is a big treat. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Spencer Liu. How are you doing today, Spencer? Doing well. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. It's a really interesting spot for us. On VB Engage, we always like to talk about you know, mobile engagement. And we sometimes you know, focus a bit too much, I think, on the, uh, on the business side. And, you know, sure. business is great. It's fun. You know, well, actually, you know, sometimes business is uh, like instant narcolepsy. But no, no, no. Uh, business <laughs> is mostly fun. But, of course, there's nothing more fun than uh, than games. And, of course, mobile games have taken the world by storm over the last decade. I mean, it's it's really changed the entire gaming landscape. But still, mobile sometimes has an engagement issue. And certainly mobile games in particular right. are just so ridiculously competitive Let's start there, Spencer. I mean, what are the things that mobile game developers and app developers, because all of this in terms of high-level theory is transferable across the two, what can they do to really get people engaged with their app or their game uh, and stop them from, from you know, doing the ultimate uh, unsubscribe, which is to uninstall and never come back again? Sure. I think, I think every game is different. Every genre of games, you know, they have different mechanics, you know, different gameplays, different themes. I think that's up to the games developers to decide. I think game developers, by nature, what do they love doing? They love to design games. They love to build games. They love to understand what their users are thinking about what they have put out there. A few years ago, what, what we started to think is, hey, look, developers are really focused on engaging their players through game design, through building great games. What about all these thousands or even millions of people who are actually actively playing the games right now? You're sitting there alone, right? So you're playing a game on your iPhone. Do you even know that there are thousands or even millions of people out there simultaneously online, perhaps even looking at the same screen, perhaps even buying the same character at this very moment? You know, is there that dimension, that level where we can bring these players together as well? Maybe that will add another level of sort of interactions, not necessarily between the developers and the game players, but between players and players. That's kind of, uh, I, think, I, think, I think, an area that I think we should stretch ourselves and challenge ourselves to think about. Perhaps that's a dimension that nobody ever thought about before, right inside the game. Right inside the game. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So if you could maybe give us a, uh, you know, give our listeners who maybe haven't heard of KT Play, kind of the high level, what exactly is KT Play? And, and I think it's interesting how you are aggregating all of the players inside your one game community and able yeah. to figure out who the most engaged players are so you can actually identify the influencers within your game. How does this all work? Yeah, so it, it, it's very simple. I, when I talk to developers these days, you know, any sizable developers, you know, with employees of 10 plus, I ask them, hey, are you guys doing any kind of community management? They all say, absolutely. You know, managing, building a community around an IP or around a game that we have invested thousands of dollars to build is very, very crucial, very important. Then the next question is, well, where are you guys building your community? They say, of course, we're doing it on Facebook. Then the next question is, is it effective? And most of them will scratch their head and say, you know what, I don't know, but we have to do it. 
you know, why is it not effective? Again, I am not saying anything bad about Facebook. Facebook is great. But ultimately, the question is, where are your most active and engaged and loyal users? They are inside your game. So if you want to start building a community, the first natural place you should be considering is inside your game. So KD Play offers a very simple SDK that's completely customizable that looks, you know, you can customize it so it feels and looks exactly like your game. It's a SDK that takes about 10 minutes to integrate. Then it has a, a curatable homepage where you can curate useful uh, user-generated content. It also comes with a rich media discussion forum where users can share their strategies and achievements with each other, with text, with photos, and with videos. And also it comes with a very robust content management system on the back end where developers can physically walk into that community in real time to start also posting content, getting feedback from the users, and also possibly launching live events, send notifications to start influencing user behavior as well inside the game. Regarding influencers, you will be able to see right away on the dashboard who are the most active players inside your community who are uh, you know, posting different content. Every time they post a piece of content, people congregate, aggregate around the content and start commenting and start interacting with each other. So you'll be able to see who these most active players are inside the community. Our whole idea is we want to break down that barrier between developer and players. Uh, developers are so used to looking at their players from an analytics point, point of view, you know, charts and graphs and DAUs and MAUs and so on and so forth. But these are actually real people with real opinions. These are real people who can help you to do customer service. These are real people who will give you real honest opinions after they spend $10, $20 in your game. We believe there is a whole lot of value in, you know, quote, quote unquote, face-to-face -face interactions between players and players and also players and developers. Are you able to identify like who your whales are within the game then? So that way, are they identified like, oh, this person spent $1,000 in the app so far? Because yes. I've been reading some players are spending ridiculous amounts of money in-game. If developers choose to upload that in-game spending information up to KT Play as a platform, they have the opportunity to do user segmentations and so on and so forth, you know, to be able to target their messaging, target their discussions right to a very specific segment of players. But of course, you know, that's all up to de developers to decide. KD Play by, by default offers a very simple, great native experience of a community inside your app. The rest is really up to developers to curate, to interact, to, you know, censor content, so on and so forth. It's very interesting to me, you know, the different strategies that uh, mobile app and mobile game developers will use. Um, in order to, first of all, acquire new users and then secondly, to monetize them and to retain them within the system. And obviously, you know, VentureBeat, we've got, a, we've got a research arm called VB Insight. We've done a lot of research into this, a heck of yes. a lot of research into this. Mm. In fact, our fingers have bled on many an occasion writing this research, um, and I'm not even joking. You know, what's clear to us is, you know, when we surveyed thousands upon thousands of developers and we looked at millions of installs, mm. you know, in terms of user acquisition strategies, for mobile-first publishers, social media far outweighed anything else. Um, everyone's yes. using social ads. And everyone in social ads is, is using Facebook to acquire users yeah. because Facebook produces, according to our respondents again, the highest quality users at the fairest price. Funnily enough, Google was, was second and Twitter was third. And then you have a big drop-off. And the right. drop-off then you know, goes down to the ad colonies and tap joys and app lifts and supersonics of this world. We also noticed that 
uh, when you get down to that level that uh, most of the really successful app and game developers had as many partners as they could possibly manage right we have people like 20 partners trying to get as many users into the into the app as possible but to me it all seems to be a little bit pointless unless you keep people within the app once you've got them right (laughs) a big chunk of app installs are organic Mm -hmm. um, and we know that when you tie organic to page that it lifts everything up and you get many many more users because of that other than in-app strategies like like native thinking beyond social media how do you think developers and marketers of, of apps and games, where should they focus their time and energy um, outside of all of the things that everyone else is doing? I can't really speak generally for the developers. I honestly think everybody's got to try a little bit of everything. You know, sometimes paid advertising works. Sometimes doing business development, establish a really great relationship with the app store folks really, really is very useful. you got to spend a lot of effort on driving downloads. Right, because that's how everything gets started. But once you've invested money or resources or partnerships to drive a lot of downloads into, you know, driving users into your app or into your game, how do you retain them? Right? How do you retain them besides the things that you can do, such as redesigning the games, you know, optimizing the balance of the games and so on and so forth? Besides the, these uh, typical game design stuff that you know you can do already to your game. What about the player base as a whole? You know, do they bring a lot of um, you know hidden opportunities? We are a company that's based in China. We've seen so many players just interacting with each other, starting little quizzes and games inside the community that's completely related to the game. You know, these kids they come into the games, they come into the community to talk about the games. You know, so now all of a sudden this kind of user generated content and user generated interest start to create this other level of interest for people to be pulled back into the game. So those are the areas that I personally think is completely undiscovered and unexplored uh, yet. That's an area that we are we are trying to tap into. The market in China is quite clearly different to the United States market. Right. We know a lot of publishers, a lot of developers are eyeing China as, as the next big area of growth. But not only is it uh, something that people have to consider very hard before they do because uh, of all of the usual localization and translation issues that come around. But there's some pretty big cultural differences between US and, and Chinese gamers as well, especially when it comes to, you know, you were just mentioning putting people together in Japan in particular, you have these, you know, big party and uh, sort of competition and, and leaderboard uh, situations, right. which are incredibly popular, but they don't sort of work so well in the US. What, what are some of the things that U.S. developers and publishers need to think about before they enter China outside of localization. Localization is only maybe one percent of the work that really they need to you know invest in and understand. I think first of all the thing is that they have to understand the complexity of the ecosystem. So for example, there are three hundred Android app store that are all trying to kill each other. You know, so it's not just Amazon and Google, right? It's uh, the Baidu, it's the three sixty, it's Tencent, of course, it is a huge elephant in the room. All these are great companies. So understanding the ecosystem, understanding how, what is the most popular payment method, you know, how most of the Chinese players, they don't have credit cards per se, but they use what? They use Alipay, they use WeChat Pay payment, or they use SMS payment uh, provided by the mobile carriers. So there's a whole lot of complexity around the whole ecosystem. And the next thing that I want to talk about is 
the user behavior is very different. Chinese people, from my limited experience, having lived in China, you know, moving to China from San Francisco for about close to five years now, Chinese players love to pay to win. They are not shy about how much money they have contributed to to the game, so they are all completely geared up and they can just waste people away. They are very, very highly competitive. And also Chinese players are completely uh, open and transparent about, I want to social, I want to get to know people. They're not afraid of their privacy. Almost every app these days in China, the only logging method is by a mobile phone. You know, number one, it's, it's mandated by the government because the government want to make sure every person who's registered on the mobile internet space is a real human being attached to a real ID with a real mobile phone num num number. So Chinese players are trained to use some of their sort of identification as a logging method on any social platform. So inside KD Play in China, we find players posting a lot of selfie photos, want to make friends. They are very blatant and very open and transparent about, hey, this is who I am, this is what I do. I live in this corner of the street, in this province. I'm here to make friends, and I'm also here to talk about games. Versus, um, I would say, Western players, they want to focus on gaming experience much, much more. So most of the players from the Western environment, they come into our uh, community. They want to talk about the games. Where in China, they want to talk about the games, and they also want to talk about themselves, and they also want to talk about their life, and they want to be out there and make friends as well. So those are some of the differences. Yeah, that's great, Spencer. I, I'd done some research on you, and I, and I had um, uncovered the story around where you originally became frustrated with you were playing a game, you were getting frustrated with the game, and you actually had to leave the game to go hunt the web to go find tips to, yeah. to actually move to the next level, and that's how your startup happened. How did that sort of evolve, and then how does KT Play and, and then having this in-game community help user retention? The problem was very simple. Many years ago, when I first started playing the first version of Angry Birds, I was stuck at, I believe, level 23 or something like that. I was frustrated, so I had to constantly put the phone down, go onto Google, look for tips, go onto YouTube, watch a 30-second clip, write down notes, and come back and pick up the phone and try again, try again. It was, you know, me being a product guy, I, I was just scratching my head. I said, why would the game developer even allow users to put the phone down? You know, why is there a forum? Why is there a Q&A? Why is there? And while I know this is the most popular number one game in the world, there's got to be millions and millions of people waiting to answer my question to, to help me out. So that was the initial inspiration. Mm. There are people in the game right now. Why don't we just connect them? You know, and they can help each other. They can share strategies, so on and so forth. That's how we started experimenting back in 2000, late 2013. Then it evolves into, okay, if we are successful at aggregating all these active users, how is that going to benefit developers? What do they care about? They care about revenue. They care about retention. Right? They care about downloads. So can we turn this community into a ret retention-driven platform as well? It's not just a forum and discussion. It's a whole community. Then can you run events in the community? Can you do social sharing? So every single topic that users post, can they curate? Can they highlight? Can they feature certain posts right to the homepage? Encourage these people to share these uh, great UGC content right on Facebook. And when they successfully share with their thousands of friends on Facebook, they get 10 coins. They get virtual currency. So community itself already adds a lot of value to users inside the game. Now, how do we spin it around and have it be almost like a live ops platform through the engagement of the community to help drive re retention? We have polls. We have events. 
we have social sharing, that's all built into the community which developers can control on the back end. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And, and I really like a lot of your points here. I mean, the key thing here is that however we get users into our games, whether we go the high volume, low cost route of uh, CPI, which uh, most people are killing off because uh, it doesn't get you good enough quality users, you know, they don't stay around for long enough. Or whether you, you know, pay more to get people who are who are likely to be better quality users in the first place and therefore not just stay around for longer, but if they like it, actually tell all their friends so you get more organic growth. Yes. You know, the key is here that regardless of how you get them in, you've got to get past the different barriers, the seven seconds, seven minute, seven hours, seven day, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The right. only way of doing that is to increase engagement. And uh, one great way of increasing engagement, as we've discovered, is is to have in-app communities, have in-app native, keep people around and make sure that they're, you know, enjoying what you're doing. Before we finish up for today, you know, what sort of part does uh, in-app notifications play in this? And, and, you know, how can you make sure that you're doing that effectively and not doing it in an annoying way? It has to do with the content, right? It has to do with the content that the players want. And also it has to do with frequency as well. You don't want to be popping up in the in-game notification left and right. Uh, and also it has to be relevant. I would say it has to be intimately integrated into the gameplay itself. So while I'm on level two, don't try to sell me, upsell me something on level 25 because I'm not quite there yet, right? So can a developer identify where each one of these users are, you know, which stage they are in the app or in the game and be able to send a notification that's correct, you know, directly relevant in context of where they are inside the game. Obviously, you want to be able to segment a certain population and be able to send customized messages to influence segment by segment. The other thing is, you know, in terms of KT Play community, putting users into the community, you have different levels of players inside the community. Can you use notifications to direct different segments of users into different discussion threads? For very senior expert players who have been playing your games for three weeks plus, well, they probably wouldn't be very interested to talk to people who just joined the game. So in terms of notification, could you use notification and lead them into different levels of different discussions to help them get used to the game mechanics, to help them to get right into the game, and most importantly, to surround them with like-minded people at, you know, in context of where they are inside the game? So that these people can congregate, you know, sharing the similar sort of uh, background as where they are in the game and be able to socialize with each other that way. That's fascinating. Thank you so much, Spencer. Hey, listen, uh, we could talk all day about this stuff, but unfortunately we can't because we have a time limit with VB Engage. Uh, so we just want to say a huge, huge thank you for bringing you and your brain to VB Engage mm -hmm. today. Thanks a lot, guys. No, we really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you so much, Spencer Liu, for joining us on VB Engage. Very insightful stuff. If you are a mobile developer, you are trying to get more engagement in your app, KT Play might be something you want to take a look at. Very interesting. Uh, love how they are growing communities on various different platforms and, and various different apps. Good stuff. That was this week's episode. Next week, we have John Rampton. Uh, he is an entrepreneur. He's a journalist. He's an author. He is a, an amazing influencer. He's going to talk about engaging his audience and some of his thought process around being an entrepreneur. Uh, that's a great interview as well. Last week, if you missed that episode, episode 
45. That was Mike Stelsner, and uh, he's the CEO of Social Media Examiner and the creator of Social Media Marketing World. That's a great interview there as well, so make sure to tune in for that. Next week will be episode 47, if you can believe it. Uh, We're going to be approaching our 50th podcast here in a few weeks and that's going to be an excellent episode with uh, with the one and only noah kagan of sumo so it's great stuff we really appreciate you guys tuning in and for travis wright goodbye and for Stuart rogers it's bidaya we'll see you guys next week